afternoon and welcome to the news portion of Midday Magazine for this Wednesday, October 26th. I'm Julie Hersey. Hunters have reported their final moose harvest to fishing game for this season. As Rachel Cassandra reports, it was a decent year for area hunters. Moose hunting season for central southeast Alaska wrapped up last week. Hunters around Wrangell and Petersburg were required to report all harvests by last Friday. Just one moose was added to harvest numbers since the season closed October 15th. That brings the total to 116 moose. Frank Robbins is a wildlife biologist in Petersburg with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. The previous five-year average, I believe, was 119, so we're close to the to the average. It's the ninth year in a row that we've harvested uh, over uh, 100 moose locally in the RM038 hunt. The area with the most harvest was on Kupernoff Island, where hunters took 47 moose. Most of the bulls that were reported harvested were taken on western Kupernoff and Kiyu Island. Um, Kiyu Island harvest was 28 bulls, which is the third year in a row that over 20 bulls have been harvested from Kiyu Island. Hunters harvested 20 moose by the Stickine River. Robin says that's average for the area. He says the harvest on Petersburg's Mitkoff Island was a little lower this year. But he thinks maybe it was fewer hunters, not fewer moose. One thing that's a little bit noteworthy, we've averaged about 11 bulls from Mitkoff Island over the last few years. Last year, six were harvested, and this year, only three. Um, it's a downward trend, but I think it might likely be related to fewer hunters on Mitkoff. Weather could have been a factor this year. The third week of the moose harvest was warm and sunny. That may have made the harvest a little smaller. Robin said in sunny weather, moose tend to move less. And we get a, a, a cool front end or, or cool rainy weather. They're, they're more, more likely to move. And they move less and they're less observable. Mm-hmm. And hunters don't see them. Robbins also said the harvest numbers looked good for Thomas Bay on the mainland. I believe only two or three bulls were harvested there last year. It was out this year that they harvested six bulls. And, uh, you know, which is good. We're still maintaining a moose moose harvest there. Overall, numbers were a little lower than the record harvest last year of 129. But Robin says any moose harvest over 100 is good news. The trend is good for the area for moose hunting. This is this is a time to moose hunt in, in the RM038 hunt. You know, we're still seeing good harvests, and we're still getting good reports. And uh, I expect next season to be you know, equally as good. Twelve out of the 116 bulls this year were illegal harvests. That's a pretty typical percentage. Usually about 10% of harvests are deemed illegal. In Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra. You can find the full breakdown of all moose harvest numbers online at kfsk.org. Access to traditional foods has long been a priority for Ketchikan's federally recognized tribe. But for decades, Ketchikan residents have been barred from taking part in federal subsistence hunts and fishing. Now, Ketchikan Indian community is pushing to change that. And as Reagan Miller reports, it hinges on one big question. Is Ketchikan a rural community? Trixie Bennett, the president of Ketchikan's tribe, says the push to designate Ketchikan as a rural community is a major step towards the tribe's goal of food sovereignty. Our food is our way of life. Uh, Our food is the medicine. Our culture is the medicine. 
If Ketchikan was classified as rural, all residents, native and non-native, would be federally qualified subsistence hunters. That means they'd be able to hunt and fish on federal lands and harvest subsistence species, like Uligan from the Unuk River. And wildlife officials would be required to prioritize the needs of Ketchikan subsistence users over commercial and sport fishermen. We want um, just better access to our healthier foods around here, not just for us, but for everyone on the island. She says traditional foods like deer and fish are high in protein and that indigenous people have been living off the land since time immemorial. But there's a reason that we, you know, persevered and we are so resilient and and a lot of that has to do with your food system. But what does it mean to be designated as a rural community? Matthew Newman from the Native American Rights Fund says that's decided by the Federal Subsistence Board. It, It is the definition by which you know, subsistence rights are either offered or denied. Uh, but no one can come to a universal agreement as to what the term rural community means. If an area is considered rural by the board, it means more subsistence rights, like those outlined in Title Eight of the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act. In this instance, you also have, as a rural resident, you have the opportunity to hunt or fish under federal rules. But Newman says there's no precise definition of what the board sees as rural. As of now, Ketchikan is listed as non-rural, along with Juneau, Fairbanks, the Matanuska, Susitna Borough, Anchorage, and the Kenai Peninsula. Notably, the community of Saxman, which lies within Ketchikan's borough and is connected to its road system, is considered rural by the board. It's, it's only by Alaska standards when anyone look at Ketchikan and say, well, that's not that rural. In practice, redesignating Ketchikan as a rural community would allow residents to hunt and fish on more land and waters and increase bag limits. But on Prince of Wales Island, where there's widespread concern about deer populations, some aren't so sure opening the island to more hunting and fishing is a good idea. Earlier this month, wildlife and conservation agencies held a three-day summit to discuss the problems facing the island's dwindling deer population. Clinton Cook is the president of the Craig Tribal Association, but he spoke to KRED in his personal capacity. Cook says he believes all small communities have a right to the designation, but he's not sure now is the right time. So I think adding 10 more thousand people to the queue might not be what is best right now, especially with diminished salmon populations, diminished deer populations. Cook doesn't think Ketchikan's tribe should stop pushing their request. But he says he wishes Prince of Wales Island tribes had been more evolved in the request. They should have been face-to-face with tribes on Prince of Wales and communities on Prince of Wales. He says he's having a meeting with Ketchikan's tribe on the topic soon. Bennett, the president of Ketchikan's tribe, says Ketchikan hunters and anglers would still have to follow special guidelines depending on the status of the population at the time. And federal regulations mandate that if there aren't enough deer on Prince of Wales Island to feed out-of-town hunters... Local residents would get priority. Ketchikan Indian Community's request faces its first test in the coming days as the Southeast Regional Subsistence Advisory Council meets in Ketchikan. But it'll be a while before any changes take effect. Bennett says it could take as long as three years to complete the process. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. And the Southeast Regional Subsistence Advisory Council is meeting in Ketchikan through Thursday.
Like many other communities in the state, Sitka is suffering a shortage of child care verging on crisis. And in September, the Sitka Health Summit Coalition identified child care as one of its two goals for the year in hope of finding a fast track to a solution. Last Saturday, the coalition held a child care awareness fair to pull together resources, parents, providers and children in one room to start the process. Coalition member Carrie Sagel attended and sent this audio postcard. Hi, my name is Joel Warner, and I'm the minister for the Sitka Church of Christ. Uh, my wife and I are also starting a uh, in-home daycare here in Sitka. It, it is a process. I just wanted to, to let everybody know it is difficult, but I think the ultimate goal outweighs the uh, difficulties right now because uh, our children are the future. I'm Andrea Colvin, and we came today because we have a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and um, it took a full year on a wait list to get child care. So it's something we're pretty, that's pretty important to our community. So you're situated now, you have child yes. care. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for your family? Um, it means we're paying a good chunk of change <laughs> to one of the child care centers in town. Um, but we've been extremely happy with the care that um, we've gotten. But yeah, it's it took a while. <laughs> Rebecca Calvin, thank you for coming to the Child Care Awareness Fair where you have a table. Thank you for having me. I'm the lead teacher over at Wuchin, and I'm here just to advocate for teaching positions and to have a presence here at the summit. So have you had difficulty this year in filling positions at Wuchin? We have had difficulty this year. We have our teacher aide represented as our cook this year, and very little staffing applications have been coming through, so we have very little prospects on being able to open up again, which is really sad. What has that meant for Wuchu? It means that we have one classroom instead of two, that we can't fully accept all the children that we would be able to into one class because we don't have proper supervision. And what do you think would bring people in to apply for a position? Um, Possibly a stipend to entice them into it, maybe a discount on child care. Child care expenses are quite big. They are. Thank you. You're welcome. My name is Erica Apsey, and I'm the director of Betty Lyson Child Care Center. We see children that, especially right now with the pandemic, that have not been around a lot of other children, um, so have really seen the value of children interacting with peers their own age, um, playing with them, sitting at lunch with them, snack, and having those social opportunities for interactions with children their own age. Hi, I'm here with Jessica Christensen. You had some thoughts about child care. I just think it's really key for us to remember that it's not a concern only of a certain segment of the population, that it's only your concern if you have a kiddo birth to five, or it's only your concern if your kid's in elementary and you're trying to find activities or places for them to go after school, that it really is a community-wide investment and interest, and that it's all of our interest, and um, that our solutions will come when we all can put our heads together and think about how to come up with a new solution or how to rethink something that already exists to improve it and make it better. Hi, Blue Scheibler from the Association for Education of Young Children. 
Cameron in southeast Alaska. Um, I'm in Sitka today enjoying the beautiful weather and helping inform policymakers about the need for public investment in the child care sector. Um, similar advocacy efforts in Juneau have resulted in $800,000 a year being added to the city budget for a program that directly subsidizes the operating expenses of child care programs. I know that some people have declared uh, child care a broken economy. What does that even mean? Well, that means that child care as a business is in market failure. Child care businesses cannot raise their sole source of revenue that comes from parents in order to compete in a tight labor market or compete in this the economy in general. Um, so it's broken in that way and that it doesn't fit the model of a traditional business in a free market economy. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Sitka Health Summit Coalition member Carrie Sagel with an audio postcard from last Saturday's Child Care Awareness Fair at Blatchley Middle School in Sitka. Petersburg High School swim team attended the third meet of their season this past weekend in Sitka. The team is preparing for the regional meet in Juneau in a few weeks. Avery Herman Sakamoto spoke with head coach Andy Carlisle. Well, we were at Sitka last weekend, and the kids all did pretty good. We were just getting our kind of our fine-tuning done because Regions is in two weeks here. That's our next thing. And uh, everybody did well. There's a couple little things like goggles falling off and that kind of stuff, but everybody did good. And then where is Regions? Regions is in Juneau this year at Thunder Mountain. How many events will we be swimming? Each swimmer can do two individual and two relay, and they'll all do that. Well, except for Brooklyn, she won't do any relays because she's it. They've all come a long ways from August, looking pretty good. We'll see how it shakes out in a couple weeks. That's KFSK's Avery Herman Sakamoto speaking with head coach Andy Carlisle. And that wraps up Midday Magazine for this afternoon. But this just in of note, someone's blue Ford F-350 pickup truck has rolled down the bank at Papke's Landing and the tide is coming in. And this is uh, an urgent matter. If it's your blue Ford truck out there at Papke's Landing, you need to get somebody to help you pull it out of the water. Tide's very high today. It is an 18.8 at 2.12 this afternoon. Coming up next, we'll have a look at the marine and local weather forecasts after this message.